So as I told you guys, today is a really special show. We've had so much fun bringing you these long-form interviews that we have during what has otherwise, yeah, definitely been a difficult time for everybody. So it's been a delight to get it to chance to speak with legends of the game. And I've said this to you many times, and I believe this in earnest, that when you speak to members of the World Golf Hall of Fame, it seems inevitable that in their words, there are always these pearls of wisdom. And what's more, the joy that we've all experienced over the last couple of weeks in getting a little more details and sharing those details about their path and their story, in particular, how it relates to huge events and major championships and Ryder Cups and the like. With that, it's a pleasure to tell you that you're going to hear the voice in just a moment from Lanny Watkins, a 32-time victor amongst the professional ranks. 21 of those wins came on the PGA Tour. Two distinctively wins included in that number are the 1977 PGA Championship and the 1979 Players' Championship. He played in 692 PGA Tour events. In addition to his 21 victories, he was runner-up another 21 times. Not kidding. He played in 85 major championships. In such, he collected 18 top 10s, 11 top 5s, including finishing in the top 5 in each of the four major championships. He was runner-up at the PGA Championship three times and once at the U.S. Open as well. And that's in addition to, again, that 1977 PGA Championship. He was the PGA Player of the Year in 1985. He was a member of the United States Ryder Cup team an incredible eight times. 77, 79, 83, 85, 87, 89, 91, and 1993. He in the United States Ryder Cup team in 1995. And of course, as I mentioned, he is a member of the World Golf Hall of Fame, having been inducted and enshrined in 2009. There are exactly 31 golfers ever to have played this game, who have 21 or more PGA Tour wins and a major championship. This man, Lanny Watkins, is one of them. Lanny, welcome to the program. How are you? Well, man, I'm, I'm, I'm taken back by that introduction. It was outstanding and, and uh, a little mind-boggling. Uh, a little embarrassed. I think I, I need a drink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. There'll be time for that as well. How are you keeping, by the way? How are you getting through all this? Uh, we're fine. My wife Penny and I are just hanging in. We sold our bigger house a few years back, and uh, we're in a high rise, so it's getting a little bit on the small side. Um, mm-hmm. And golf courses are not open here in Dallas, at least Preston Trail, where I play, is not. Although it does open this week, and we have walking only. So I, I called the pro today. I said, "Can we can we play with one club?" He said, yes. I said, good. I'm going to take a putter and a ball, and I'm going to walk to the front of every green and putt to the hole, then walk the next hole. So I want to get out in the air, smoke a cigar, enjoy the time outside because the weather's starting to get nice here. Absolutely brilliant. How are you feeling? How uh, It was the neck, I think, last time you and I spoke. That yeah, you yeah it was. I got, uh, last year, uh, I guess in, in 19, I got fused, uh, or in 18. I, the years run together at this stage of the game, but I got fused C3 for my neck to go along with uh, the double fusion I have in the, my lower part of my back. So um, 
you know, golf may not be a contact sport, but you can't tell my body that. It's been beat up pretty yeah. good. I think that comes oh, of course. From, from hitting as many. You know, our, I didn't have a teacher from, from 1970 until 1985. I did it all on my own. So uh, it was literally digging out of the dirt. If it took 1,000 balls, if it took 2,000 balls a day, whatever it took, I was going to stand there until I found something that worked. And that's, you know, my body pays the price now. Were you a disciple of the philosophy back in the day, as uh, Ben Hogan said, that the flight of the ball doesn't lie? Was was that which told it to you, or did you just feel it innately with hands and body? A hundred percent. I I and I tell that to my boys today that you know you may think you're swinging good, but what's the flight of the ball telling you? I I remember I used to take my boys out, and my my boys are thirty two and twenty seven. Travis and Tucker, and Travis played golf mm-hmm. at Wake Forest. Tucker played at Arizona. They're both very good players. Uh, Travis got as far as Nationwide Tour. Tucker's still trying to play. Um, I, I would go out and watch them and hit balls, and, I, and they would say, Travis, I remember, would hit a fiver, and he'd hit it perfect. Dad, I got it. I said, Travis, when you can make 30 in a row go through the same window, okay, you might be close, but you'll never have it. And that's, that's the way I felt. So it was it was it was about repetition. For me, I would yeah. stand there with a club, an eight iron, a five iron, or whatever I was hitting, and I wanted them to all look alike. I wanted it to become you know uh, muscle memory in my swing for what I was doing that I could almost do it without thinking, and it would take over, and I would hit shots that that were you know what I wanted. You know, it's interesting to hear you describe it that way, uh, Lanny, that muscle memory for you, because that causes me to think of circumstance. When the pressure is on, when you have to hit a shot, muscle memory takes over and you're able to execute regardless of the scenario. But I think most people, if they were talking about Lanny Watkins, would credit that to tenacity, to more of a mental posture than they would muscle memory. How would you credit it? it? I, I stayed aggressive. I mean, when I was playing well, I knew I was playing well, and I never, I didn't want to back off because the the opportunities to win were not that you know for for the for most of us mortals that weren't named Nicholas or Woods you know didn't come along all that often so we 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 tried you know to to put the pedal down when we had the chance I was a very fast player and I always thought that worked to my advantage because sometimes I didn't have I didn't stand over it long enough to choke I would sit there I would be I would see a shot and I'd have maybe a six iron and I'd well, I don't want this to go right, or I don't want, you know. And halfway through thinking that, I go, well, never mind, I've already hit it. And I've hit it literally out of muscle memory, walking up and just letting it go. And there goes wow. the ball right at the flag. So, I mean, it was, I would, you know, I watch these guys today, and as you know, I work for Golf Channel and do the Champions Tour. And, I mean, I watch guys talk to their caddy more in one shot than I would in an, in an entire round of golf. I'd walk up to, I mean, Leroy Schultz gave me towards the end of my career. I'd go, Lee, what we got? Lanny got 140 to the front, and the flag's 10 on. I said, well, we got to carry the bunker, five. Okay, thank you. Ball's in the air, and about two seconds later, that was it. That's all I needed. <laughs> I, I, could, I could see where everything else was up there. I knew where the wind was. I, I mean, I'm a big boy. I can actually feel the wind by myself. You know, I don't need the, my caddy to tell me which way it's coming. So, uh you know, I'm, I'm amazed that these guys can't do stuff by themselves. It, it blows me away watching it week Absolutely in, week fantastic. out. I want to ask you about the fact that you attended Wake Forest. You said one of the boys, Travis, I think you said, attended Wake Forest yes, too, did. right? Yeah. And you went 
on an Arnold Palmer scholarship. And I, and I just, I'm thinking about who you are at Hall of Fame, major champion, and Mr. Palmer and all the rest. And the connection between you two is very cool. How cool was it for you? It was very cool. I played with Arnold the first time when I was 17 years old. I played an exhibition in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, that was the first time I'd met him and played with him. And then I was offered, uh, technically it was a Buddy Worsham Memorial Scholarship, which was, who was, Buddy Worsham was Arnold's roommate that died in an automobile accident. And that was, it wasn't the Arnold Palmer Scholarship at that time, it was a Buddy Worsham Memorial. I was about the second or third person on it. I think uh, Jay, uh, I think Jay Siegel might have been first, and Jack Lewis and myself. Then guys like Eddie Pierce, Curtis Strange down the line, so... Uh, but it was very, very neat to be on his scholarship. And then to take it a, a step further, we, you know, we hit it off really well. Played a lot of money games on tour. Bert Yancey and I played. He and Tom Weisskopf for years. If we were all at a tournament, we'd play Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know, it amazed. No. Oh yeah. Uh, and I mean, and we had a standard. <laughs> we had a standard game. It wasn't amazingly big money. It was twenty dollars automatic one downs. But we, but Bert and I played the other two guys the same bet. So everybody had three bets of $20 automatic one-downs going on. We needed an accountant to keep track of everything. Then to take <laughs> it a step further, my first win on tour was at Las Vegas in 1972, and I beat Arnold by a shot to win. He was not happy because I had quit school after my junior year on his scholarship and so what's supposed to be my senior year i'm beating him by a shot to win my first tournament (laughs) how long did it take before he was no longer angry because it sounds like you guys had a great time together for years well we did starting about 73 is when we played a lot i mean maybe some in 72 but 73 i mean we played at augusta we played the pga we played at the u.s open wherever the four of us were all and and we were all having good years in 73 I mean, Weisskopf won the Open Championship another four or five times. Bert Yancey played really well that year. Arnold won a tournament that year. I won twice that year. Home. So I think that all the uh, the playing together really helped us. I think it made us all more competitive. And by the time Thursday got around, we were ready to rock and roll. You know, there's another connection between you and Arnold Palmer as well. When you won Rookie of the Year after you had turned professional – the award now is called the Arnold Palmer Award, so you're also the recipient of that distinction now, uh, as well in in your in your resume that has so many and another bridge to you and Arnold Palmer that is very cool. So what what went into the decision then to leave school to go ahead and turn professional? I had won about everything there was to win as an amateur. Number one, number two, I'd gotten married, uh, my first wife Rachel at the time, and. Uh, I was broke. I mean, my dad was a truck driver. Uh, my brother and I grew up in a house with seven people, two ba- uh, one bathroom. Uh, so it, we we weren't blue bloods or silver spoon by any you know shape of the imagination. So it was. Uh, I, I needed to go you know pay off debts. I'd borrowed money uh, to play big time amateur golf in in college to play the U.S. Amateur. I was on a walk, two Walker Cup teams. Uh, won the amateur. You know, never finished out of the top. 10 in the NCAA when I played, uh, won the Western, the Southern twice, Eastern. Uh, you know, I played really well in all the amateur events, runner-up Porter Cup about four or five, uh, Sonny Hanna about four or five times, and mm-hmm. Dixie Amateur. I mean, there wasn't much out there left in the amateur ranks. I'd even, in, in 
when you said I had 21 runner-ups on tour, you you forgot one because I was actually a runner-up in the Heritage as an amateur in 1970. Oh, yes. So yes. it's 22 seconds on tour. Oh, my gosh. And <laughs> and also, I want, want to make sure I note this so that people hear this as well. You won the 1970 U.S. Amateur. And even at that, what's interesting with your career is that you played right through a time that I call when Giants roamed because there were so many Hall of Fame members, so many major champions, and the crossroads of intersection, when you won that U.S. Amateur, you won it over Tom Kite, by which is amazing. Yes, it was an, it by was, a shot. It, it was, was in Oregon, it was, right? It was, it was metal play at the time. So, yes, I went over it. Uh, in fact, I mean, my qualifying school – uh, the fall of 71 was me, Tom Watson, John Mahaffey, Leonard Thompson, David Graham, uh, Bruce Fleischer, Steve Melnick. I mean, pretty good pretty good list of guys from that, that day's time. Alan Miller, who won three straight transmiss, uh, was on a couple Ryder Walker Cup teams. So a bunch of guys that could really, really play. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. All right, so what I would love to do in the time that we have with you is jump into – your major championship in 1977 at the PGA Championship when it was held at Pebble Beach that year. And then I, w- I want to dabble in some other events as well, even when you had some close calls, because I love the stories about what happened. And then maybe if we have time, even wrap up with a couple of Ryder Cup stories from sure. you as well. Yeah. But Whatever you need. Well, let's start with the with the PGA Championship in 1977. I know it was really dry that year. Uh, Pebble Beach was hard and running. What were your thoughts going in? Where, where was your mind at? Well, I mean, I had come off. I had gallbladder and appendix surgery in, in December of 74. And back then when they did appendix uh, gallbladder surgery, they cut through four muscles in your abdomen. Uh, now it's laparoscopic. So I didn't play very well in 75 or 6. I was starting to play well again in 77. I was actually not an exempt player on tour in 77. Uh, Only top 60 were exempt. Um, But I was having a really good year going into the PGA. I I won over 90,000, which was, I think, in the top 20 or so on the money list at that point in time. Uh, And I had a good week. And when you say dry, you're correct. We had earth cracks at Pebble Beach. It was actually a local rule that, that week that if your ball came to rest in an earth crack, you got a free drop. So, I mean, that's how baked out it was. And here again, I played practice rounds that week. I remember distinctly it was uh, actually Arnold and I playing Weisskopf and Ed Sneed three days in practice. So uh, I played all three rounds, practice rounds with Arnold that week, getting ready for the tournament. So it was um, – Good stuff, and I love Pebble Beach. I had I had actually played well there. I was tied for the lead after two rounds in the '72 U.S. Open uh, that Nicholas won. I was actually tied with Nicholas and several other people. And Jack and I had played the first two rounds together. I'm a rookie on tour, and I played the first two rounds with Nicholas and Julius Boris. So that was pretty cool, starting right there. But oh, that is neat. Yeah, back to Pebble. It was playing hard and fast. Um, and I was playing well. I was I was keeping the ball and play well and uh, putting okay and uh, just not making any big mistakes. I felt very con- in control of my game. So it was so the, a good week. The people that knew knew that your body was recovering from this surgery, but Lanny Watkins must have known that it was coming back again. You must have been able to feel it and know you were getting closer and closer. Yeah, it was getting close. I had, you know, it. It's a long story, I mean, for another time that I 
you know, I told you I worked on my game myself. Well, I made a mistake in what I was doing in my swing in, in 73, and it, it got away from me a little bit, too. Is I didn't play as well in 74, then I was hurt in 75 and 6. And in 77, I was trying to get it back to where it originally was in 72, in the beginnings of 73. A uh, lot to figure out for a youngster on your own, 25, 6 years old with no teacher. So hmm. I'm looking a lot of uh, – I had some – films i had uh i had videos uh i even had the videos of tournaments i'd won the cbs golf classic that i'd won in the early mm-hmm. 70s i had i had the videos of those so i would wa- i would watch those to try and figure out what i was doing in my swing but that week it was all kind of coming together very nicely and i stayed right around the lead you know pretty much the entire week and my goal that week going to the last round gene littler had me by six shots going to the final round and i was not in second place. I was probably down the list, top top five or something like that, maybe. But my goal was to finish in the top eight, which would get me back in the Masters in '78, and that was my goal. So that was, uh, you know, that was what I was shooting for the last day. And I got off to a a good start. I eagled two and I eagled six. Uh, I, hung, I didn't make another birdie or anything. I actually, didn't make a birdie all day until 18, though, and I birdied 18, which. Uh, I got I, I thought I had a chance around sixteen or seventeen because Littler had made some bogeys the last day, yeah, and um, I was getting close and I made about an eight or ten footer for par on sixteen, which was a big save. I felt like to have a chance I needed to birdie seventeen or eighteen. Uh, seventeen, as you know, in majors is played back across the road at, at Pebble, mm-hmm. so it was a two iron shot. And I hit maybe one of the best two irons of my life. I put it about 12 feet behind the hole at 17. And I I don't know how the putt didn't go in. It was one of the best putts I hit all week, and it just didn't go in. Uh, and I thought, well, I've, I've got my top five, you know, locked up. Let me make a, see what I can do at 18. And I hit two good shots, laid up, had 92 yards. I remember the yards. I looked at the big wow. scoreboard behind the green, and they changed Littler. I think they changed him from – uh, either seven to six or six to five, and I was. Let's say he changed it from to six to five, and I was four sitting in the fairway. So I knew that I had a chance, and I got excited and I hit wedge about eighteen inches from the hole and made uh, birdie. And then I had to wait for, of course, the most pressure part of that wait was watching Nicholas with a fifteen footer to tie me at eighteen, and he missed it. Thank God, because <coughs> I'm sitting there thinking that. We think it's an 18-hole playoff the next day if it's a tie. We don't know it's sudden yeah. death. Nobody has told us this. So I'm thinking I've got to play Nicholas if he makes his putt on Monday. And I didn't really relish the thought of that. I didn't think things were going to good, go good for old Lanny for playing Jack Nicholas in an 18-hole playoff on a course he'd already won a couple of majors on. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, that didn't sound good. So, uh, you know, but he missed the putt. Then I waited for Littler. Littler got it up and down at 17 and had about a 30-footer for par, birdie at 18 and, and two-putted. And um, I was actually halfway through a beer that Ed Sneed had given me, and they said, you're on the first tee. I said, for, I said for what? said, sudden death playoff. I mean, you talk about not being ready mentally for something. So that was kind of a, you know, a kick in the gut, so I went straight to the first tee, and while we're standing on the first tee, Litt and I, with Don Patchett, who was president of PGA of America at the time, he said, whichever one of you guys wins this tournament, 
is going to be on the 77 Ryder Cup team. You will knock Al Guyberger off the team. The PGA champion is automatic. Mr. 59, <laughs> come off. Exactly. So that was starters, and uh, I had a guy named Ralph Coffey came for me who has since passed away. Ralph's in the, I think, Caddy Hall of Fame, good guy from, I think, Morganton, North Carolina is where Ralph was from. But uh, I hit a good shot down the middle of the fairway, and Ralph had it stuttered just a little bit. Ralph was so nervous, he couldn't talk. I said, Ralph, what we got? And he couldn't get it. I said, write it down, Ralph. Just write it down. So he had to write the yardage down. <laughs> My caddy's choking on me on the first hole of the playoff. Didn't you miss the green on one and some heavy rough? I hit it right. I hit a little. I was between eight and nine. And I said, let's hit a little eight. And I flagged it right over top of the flag. Flags in the left front center, right over the green. Over, the, you know, I was in a kind of a collection area. I had an impossible chip. And I played a great chip, but it stopped right at the crest. Had it rolled another inch further, it would have been right down at the hole. Uh, so I had a 15-footer for par. Uh, Littler had about a 20-footer for birdie. He rolled it up about eight inches, and I made the 15-footer to stay alive. Whoa. Holy cow. And what happened from there? Well, we both hit it on the second green and two. Um, I actually hit the hole for eagle. Littler had to make about a three- or four-footer for his two-putt. Uh, we, then we went to three, and we hit great drives. Like I said, I was playing fast. And we both did the opposite of what we did in the morning. In the morning round, Gene had hit it over the green out of bounds with his second at the third oh. hole. And in the morning, I had spun it off the front of the green back short. Well, I hit mine over the back of the green and really, really heavy rough, and Littler spun it off the front of the green. And when I walked past his ball going to the – his lie was awful. It was gnarly green growing into him. I – I, it was going to be a spectacular shot if he got inside 10 feet from this lie. My lie wasn't good. I gouged it down to about 6 feet. He put it about 15 feet, missed it, and I made it in one. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So in the wake of that, Lanny Watkins, now you're a major champion. Was it for you a validation of who you always saw yourself as being, or was this just something that changed all the rules? I think it was something that changed the rules for me. You have to understand, I came off two really poor years, so I was still trying to get myself reestablished again. Uh, had this occurred right after, say, 73, when I'd won once and was 10th on the money list in 72, and then won twice and had 14 top 10s in 73 and was 5th on the money list, it would have been the expected you know, move up the ladder, so to speak. But yeah. With what I had, with the physical ailment I had with gallbladder and appendix and stuff, uh, you know, I went backwards. So for me, this changed my career. All of a sudden, I went from non-exempt player to being exempt, and the PGA was a 10-year exemption. So that's, you know, been taken care of. Unlike today, you know, the PGA was 10-year exemption, the World Series of Golf was a 10-year exemption, and the players was a 10-year exemption. Well, I won those three tournaments right in a row. Those are my three next wins. I went two weeks after the PGA and won the World Series of Golf at Akron by five shots over Weisskopf and Irwin. Whoa. So, I mean, all of a sudden, now I've, made, now I've got a successful Ryder Cup team that I played on at, at Lytham St. Anne's in 77, and I went 3-0 and there. So, was, Yeah, tell us about that Ryder Cup. What was it like? <laughs> you got, you're on the team now. How welcoming were the guys? Because you know, now you'd won the PGA. You're, you're one of them. Yeah, it was really cool. Watson and I were the babies on that team. We were 26, 27 years old uh, going to Lytham. 
Uh, we were on a team with guys like uh, Don January, Dave Hill, Ed Sneed, uh, Stockton hmm. Irwin, Nicholas was on the team. Don January, I think I said him. So it was it was a very veteran team. Watson and I were by far the babies on that team, and it was very very cool. And uh, Dal Finsterwall was a captain, and I had known Dal. I'd met him when I was a, a youngster before I went to college, and he and I had a very very good relationship. Uh, and I think that was one of the things he was very calming and very good to me on the team so it, you know he put me in a position to succeed on that team he was an outstanding captain he also had the best bar of any Ryder Cup captain I've ever seen before or since so it was, <laughs> we must have had 15 different single malts at that at that bar so it was, it was outstanding so it was absolutely uh, brilliant yeah it was he was great I mean there were some stories that I can't even repeat that happened that <laughs> week some of the things between January and Dave Hill and Hubert Green was on that team and uh, it was it was really good stuff. It was uh, it, it was one of the coolest experiences of my life at that point in time, and I think it gave me a passion for playing Ryder Cups down the line that one that one week. So that PGA really changed my life. It, it changed the whole trajectory of where my golfing career was going. You know, I think that I think they could do a documentary on the year nineteen seventy seven in the world of golf. I think it was that distinctive a year for so many different reasons. Even when you're talking about Hubert Green and then you're talking about Jack and Tom at, at Turnberry and, and, and Tom Watson winning the Masters as well that year. I mean, there was so much that happened in and around the world of golf, including that Ryder Cup. It really was. It was very cool and uh, a lot going on. It was, it was neat for me to be in the middle of it. I'd kind of gotten back on track with my game. Uh, I didn't have a great year in 78, maybe kind of a hangover uh, from, you know, uh, you know, from the PGA in 77 in the world. I mean, I went from being almost exempt to, I think I finished, I want to say I finished third on, third on the money list in 77, third or fifth, I think third. When, by the time I won the PGA, and then, you know, the PGA I won a whopping forty or 45000 for first place. Yeah. So, and it, but and then when I won the World Series, that was huge. That was, first prize there was 100000 more than double yeah. what I made the PGA. So that that jumped me up pretty good and ended up being a, a really nice year. You know, it's interesting though because, as, as you know, guys of your vintage, many of many of you are friends of mine, and I love to talk to you. Every every person to a man, when I ask him the following: If you had a choice to jump in a time machine and play golf in some other era, would you take that option? All the other guys say no. What would you say? No, I'd say I, I would love to have today's money. It would be different, but I. I wouldn't trade the guys and the characters I played with and the things we did. And you got to understand, life was different before all this social media. I mean, we had, I think we had a lot more fun, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, it was a bunch of good guys that we enjoyed, you know. Uh, I, I, I love the fact that it was just us. I didn't have a team. I, I hear all the guys today say, we this and we that. I never had a we. I mean, I, I had a sports psychologist. He was a different guy every week. He was called a bartender. I mean, that was it. I mean, that, that was the extent of, of, of our team. You know, your team was your wife and, and you and your caddy, and that was it. Do you think, Lanny, as, as you mentioned that your dad was a truck driver, do you think that kind of an upbringing for you was an advantage because it made you tough? Oh, I don't think there's any question. I mean, it was tough, everything we did. Plus, I grew up playing with my brother. And Bobby and I are only 18 months apart age-wise. Wow. So, 
being that close, I was December, he was July, so we were only a year apart in school. Uh, I was a you know junior in high school, he was a sophomore, so we played more rounds. We probably played, if you think about it, more rounds of golf together than any two people alive. I would you know start going back to when we were seven, eight, nine, ten years old. You know, I started. I got into golf because my dad came back from World War II, and somehow he got into golf. He, his family was athletic. My mother's was athletic as well, and uh, he was playing public golf in Richmond. And when I was about seven years old, I said I wanted to see my dad because when he was home on weekends, I wanted to see him. So I went and started pulling a cart for him, and I said, "Dad, this is a cool game. Can I play?" And you know, he got me a set of clubs, got me started. Uh, they joined a brand new club on the south side of Richmond called Meadowbrook Country Club. Uh, Two hundred and fifty bucks to join, I think, and uh, had a pro there named Popeye Lumpkin that. Uh, Loved kids and took Bobby and I under his wings, and we grew up playing in junior clinics and uh, just you know, it was it was social for us as well. It, my mother was lifeguard at the club pool, so we would oh. go with her in the morning. We'd go play a good eighteen holes, come back and you know have lunch at the pool and look at the girls and go play thirty six in the afternoon. It's beautiful. I love that you're talking about the characters of your life, and you mentioned a guy named Popeye Lumpkin. Yeah. Yeah. It's just classic. I, it, so I want to jump into some of these other tournaments you were close on too, because if there's one thing when you look at the the outline of the of the competitive life of Lanny Watkins, a few things stand out. One is everybody that you tangled with at the top of the leaderboard, win, lose, or draw, are pretty much legends of the game too, and in the Hall of Fame. And two, for some reason. It seemed like you always were playing well in incredibly hot conditions. Is that is that observation anywhere near accurate? Yeah, probably so. I, I played well in the summertime. I, I also I think when I really played well, though, Matt, if you go back and look at my record, I played very well on the West Coast early in the year. The reason being is that I always took the approach that when the year was over, I was tied to last with everybody else. I mean. We weren't playing for FedEx dollars or stuff. We were playing for money to pay, put food on the table and pay our livelihood. I mean, we didn't, you know, uh, uh, like I said, I had a really good year in 73. I won twice at 14 top tens. That'd be worth about $12 million today. I won, I think I won 205000 mm-hmm. So, I mean, life was a little bit different. You know, we didn't have oh, courtesy yeah. cars. We didn't have uh, nurseries at the tournaments. You, you paid your own way the whole way around. So... Uh, I viewed at the end of every year that I was tied to last. And I would spend all winter working my – that's when I made changes and worked on my game really hard was during the wintertime. And I had I, I had a good West Coast. I mean, I won you know, I won at Phoenix. I won uh, L.A. twice, Hawaii twice. Um, you know, won the Bob Hope. I, I, I played well out there all the time. I mean – you know, so it was it was a good place for me. I got off to a good start every year, and then I think I played well in the summertime. I, I you know, I only played once good at Doral, one down there, and I didn't play. And I played okay around the Masters time. I won Greensboro and played well there, and, and Hilton Head. But <clears throat> uh, it just, you know, it it varied year to year. Yeah, you played well at the Masters, didn't you? Have three uh, third place finishes at the Masters, if I remember correctly. Three out of about four or five years, it took me a while. I you know, like a uh, a lot of young players, I listen to everybody tell me how, the way you're supposed to play Augusta, that you're supposed to try and hit it below the hole and do all this and that. And finally, I just said, you know, the hell with that. I'm not having much success with that. 
I just started playing the way I played every other week. I, I got aggressive with the driver, tried to take the short lines. I went at every flag, and all of a sudden, I found out I could make a lot more downhill six footers than I did twenty hill twenty foot uphillers. So you know, <laughs> and then I started playing well. I had a I had a good run. I had seven. I think it was tied for a record of seven straight rounds at the time of par or better over a three-year period. So I played well. I had some chances. 91 is the one that, that probably burns me that I feel like I should have won. But, uh, you know, I, I played well. All right, let me let me bang through a few of these other tournaments that I, that I find fascinating. Uh, speaking of the temperatures, 1982 PGA Championship, Southern Hills. It was like 1,000 degrees there. Ray Floyd ends up winning. But he wins by three strokes over somebody named Lanny Watkins. What do you remember that week? Well, I remember Raymond shot sixty-three the first round and got way out in front. And you can't, <laughs> yeah. shoot, you can't shoot sixty-three at Southern Hills, and he did. And uh, then he, he played solid the rest of the way. Uh, we had a great battle going on for second place. It's, it's, it's a shame Raymond kind of ruined it. I mean, he had me and Calvin Pete and Fred Couples all vying to, you know, and I made a birdie at I think seventeen, part eighteen, and uh, and Raymond actually. You know, it started coming back a little bit and won by two or three at the end there. But it was, uh, yeah, I was I was actually runner up in the last two majors that Raymond won at Southern Hills and at uh, Shinnecock. Shinnecock, yeah, in nineteen eighty six, you and uh, Chip Beck finished second. And eighty that eighty six uh, U.S. Open that was very windy, if, if, from what I recall. Did it did it stay? Uh, blustering winds all week it did it died a little bit on the weekend i think at one point on the second nine on sunday there were like 12 or 14 of us tied for the lead it was it was something ridiculous uh wow. i was playing ahead of the leaders i posted 65 the last round at shinnecock uh and actually thought with the with the finishing holes playing as tough as they were I hit, I'd hit a two iron over the green at 18 and chipped down to about four feet, made it downhill, left to right, breaking four footer. And I thought when I made it, I'd won a U.S. Open. Uh, and then Raymond made two birdies coming in, which you couldn't do, but he did. And that's just the way he was. That's the kind of competitor that he was. So, oh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so it was, you know, I felt like I had a chance. I just, uh, I, I, I played well. I knew I was playing well going in there. And, uh, yeah, that was a good year for me in the majors. I had, I think, I had uh, second at Shinnecock. Uh, uh, I, I played well most of the year. I didn't get a win in '86, but I, I felt like I, I had a solid year. Well, a couple of years before that, the '84 PGA Championship at Shoal Creek. Again, we're talking about heat and all the rest. It was another legend winning his last major in front of you in Lee Trevino, and everything about that, from the putter that he used and all the rest, and. And that major championship. What are your memories for Lanny Watkins in '84 at the PGA? Oh, there are a lot, a lot of memories in that. I, the the one thing I knew I was playing well because I played a practice round with Bill Rogers, Bruce Litsky, and my brother, and wow. we were playing a money game. And I made eight birdies the first nine in the money game. Uh, I, I mean, so I'm thinking, well, I'm gonna. I've never shot in the '50s, so I'm I'm busting my hump to shoot low the next nine, and I think I shot 30 three or four and shot 61 in practice on, on Wednesday before the tournament started. And then I go out and I birdie the first day. I birdied four of the first five holes. And I said, man, here we go again. And I and it, it was I stayed right there all week. I was in and out of the lead. Uh, the last two days, it was they played threesomes back then. It was Trevino and Gary Player and myself in the last group the last two days, which was very, very cool. 
two guys I played a lot of golf with. I mean, I see Lee, you know, every time I go to the club, he's out there almost. We're at the same club here in Dallas. Um, so it was, uh, it was good memories. I was right. I had the lead with nine to play and, uh, Lee made putts the second nine and I didn't. That was pretty much how it was. I mean, the turning point, there's a, they did a picture of it on the, I think it hangs at Shoal Creek and we signed some prints of it was 16. Lee had me about one shot at 16 and I hit five iron about 12 feet right behind the hole. He was in the left bunker, almost behind a tree in the bunker. Got it on the green outside me. He had 14 feet, almost on the same line as me for par, looking like it could be a two-shot swing, except he made the putt not for par, and I missed mine for birdie. Oh. So that yep. you know, then it changed the way I was playing the last two holes. I went at both flags, made a couple bogeys, and Lee won by three or four. I think. Wow. Uh, you know, in 87 at the PGA, because I'm just thinking the Palm Beach Gardens, right, PGA <sighs> National, and – and you are tethered to that place, too, because of what happened with the Ryder Cup, which is another story if you want to tell us about it, because it's incredibly cool and what Jack Nicklaus did and all the rest. But another, in that case, hot. I know it was windy down there. Kind of a very unique PGA of that year in 87. Yeah, it was. We had the green, They lost the greens. I mean, we were basically putting on dirt, and uh, it was not very good. And uh, I was... Fighting, and I was right at the lead the entire week. My brother was right there too. He finished, I want to say, top five or something. But uh, I had a, I birdied, uh, I want to say, seventeen, fifteen or seventeen. Anyway, I got to the last hole. I needed birdie to win, uh, <clears throat> and um, I laid up good. But the problem was, I was kind of between clubs. I was between a fifty-six sand wedge and a pitching wedge, and. I, I went with the hard sand wedge, wedge, not knowing if I could get to the hole or not because the greens were so baked out and just dirt that I was afraid if I had a little club in there, it was going to skip through the back of the green in the rough. And I came up about 18 feet short, and I missed the putt to win. And then Larry Nelson, I went to a playoff. And uh, that playoff was regrets for me. Larry, I, we both had, it, 10 was different back then at that club. It was four wood off the tee, and I think I hit a little eight iron. Had a right-to-left win. I hit it just right of the flag, and it hit just on the edge. The green kicked off into a not-a-good lie, and Larry hit it over the green. He got it to about 12 feet, and I hit a pretty good pitch from where I was to about four. He made, and I missed. And I, I you know, finished second again. So I had, you know, it was that was that was a tough one because I, I felt like I was in control most of the week of, of what I was doing. And I, I and even in the playoff, I hit the shot I wanted, and it, it the wind I hit it so solid with the second shot, the wind just didn't touch it. Well, I want to ask you, but let's stay at that course then, and let's talk about that 1983 Ryder Cup, kind of the finish up here with you, because it's it, it's to me it's quintessential, Lanny Watkins. Uh, first of all, you were you were down three with seven to play, if I'm uh, correct, to kind of Saris. Is that was that your recollection uh, as well? I don't, I don't remember being that many down, but I I, I was I was. Tied or one down, it seemed like all day. It was one of those matches that, you know, if you ever play guys and you feel like they're the kind of guys you just can't shake, well, Canizares was like that. Uh, he got it in the hole from everywhere. It's kind of like a little dog yapping at your ankles. You can't kick him away, you know. But I'm sitting there. Uh, I mean, the first hole was a great example. I had a good drive. I had a good second to about six, seven feet. He's got a 50-footer for par. He holds it. I missed my six-footer. We tie the hole. The whole day was like that. I know I was one down going to 16, 
and I hit a great two iron at 16 right behind the hole about 12 feet. He's in the water to the right, half in, half out of the water. He splashes it onto the green from the water about 30 feet, holds it. I missed the putt. So we tie 16. I mean, I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm supposed to win this hole easy. I actually made a six-footer at 17 to stay alive. Yeah, you were eight. one down coming to 18, right? Uh, yeah, so I stayed one down. I'd, I'd have lost two and one if I missed the putt at 16. So, I mean, at 17. So, yes, and we and, uh, I had the honor. I hit a good tee shot. He hit a good tee shot. I was past him. I'm thinking he's going to lay up at 18. It was kind of across the corner of a lake there, and he hit a good three-wood down there. and I, It kind of forced me to get a little bit more aggressive than I was thinking I wanted to at the time. And I took it pretty much at the green, left center of the green, over the corner of the lake. And I remember Curtis Strange was to the right of it. He started yelling at my ball as soon as I hit it, get up, get up. I said, it's okay, it's solid. So, you know, with wooden clubs back then, you couldn't really tell. <clears throat> anyway, I had about 72 yards left. He had probably about 85 or 90. And he hit it a little on the heavy side to the front edge, and I hit – the 72-yard wedge, I hit it a foot from the hole. It was, uh, I remember uh, the, my entire team, with the exception of Tom Watson, who was back playing Bernard Gallagher in the group behind me, and Tom was two up and two to play. So I needed to win this hole for us to win 14-and-a-half, 13-and-a-half, and I knew it. I mean, I wasn't back, so I wanted to know exactly where we stood. Nicholas was there, Curtis Strange, Calvin Pete, Tom Kite, Fuzzy, the whole Jay Haas, they were all there. And I hit it a foot from the hole. I walked up on the green, saw where it was. Uh, Tom Kite slapped me on the back. I turned to talk to him, and nothing came out. I I, I couldn't couldn't speak. So. Oh my gosh. It was probably the most it, nervous I've ever been hitting any one shot. Which, to me, the cool thing was I performed with that amount of pressure. And uh, the course of the story goes, Nicholas went back and kissed the divot, the whole thing. So it was, you know, it was it was pretty cool. USA went on to win 14.5 to 13.5. So, uh, Lanny Watkins, first of all, thank you for the massive amount of time you've given us tonight. Oh, These yeah, incredible sure. stories. I have one last favor to, to ask of you, uh, and, and I love to ask uh, champions, legends of this. Everybody, I believe, everywhere has something in their heart. They harbor some dream. What advice do you have for people who want to achieve something? They have this goal in mind that they want to accomplish what words of encouragement do you have for those people? I think you've got to go for it, Matt. I, I, I think that I saw something that I wanted to do, and I put everything I had into that dream. I worked hard for it. Uh, I didn't have anything given to me. And I think if you want something, you've got to take it. You've got to figure out a way to put your best foot forward, do the work that's required, and, and have a singular goal. Um, in today's world, is it nice to have a fallback position? Yes. But... I think you've still got to be focused on what you want to accomplish, and you've got to go after it with all your heart and soul. Uh, I, I think it's just as, as simple as that. I, I don't think you make it any more complicated than than that. You know, hopefully uh, listen to what people say, but uh, don't take you know advice verbatim. You know, make it make sure it works for you. So it's uh, I think it's about you know having having the right attitude and and wanting to exceed i mean i've always said that professional golfers if you want to be successful you better be selfish to an extent even with your family uh you have the the window to play well is probably you know early 20s to 35 
And so during that stretch, you might miss a couple of games that your kids have and stuff like that. But what you're going to do in that period of time is going to benefit your family far more down the road than maybe one or two little softball games or baseball games. I mean, I made almost all mine. I was lucky I had my boys later in life, so it gave me the opportunity to to catch all their games. But uh, I just I think you've got to be you've got to be you know very focused on what you want to accomplish. Mr. Lanny Watkins, I can tell you, playing with all your heart and soul, as you just phrased it, for Chasing Dreams is exactly what you did in your career. And we thank you once again for sharing all of that with us here today because it's amazing as always. Well, Matt, pleasure being with you. And I'm sure I'll see you down the road once this stuff's all settled down. Very much looking forward to that, sir. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Thanks.